you just think we just, you know, whatever happens, we just shit another player. I, and everything's going to be perfect. All of our fans think that. You all think that. That's what you write about. You don't want to be here. There's a specific reason. Not really, you know, I think we did a poor job recruiting. If guys are coming in and immediately walking out the door because it was something different than what they thought it would be. And we lied to them during recruiting or we, we sold them on a dream that wasn't you know, true. Certainly, like I said, coach our kids to, to do the right thing and uh, you know, play with poise, play with confidence, play with dignity, play with class. At the same time, we're not going to take anyone's shit either. We want to be a big, fast, dominating, aggressive, relentless football team that nobody in the SEC wants to play. Now, that's also a second in the West, baby. Yes, sir. Yeah. excited about second. From now on, it's first, okay? All I want to do is fucking eat! I want you to eat! I want you to eat! I want you to want this shit! Do you want it? Do you want it? Show me! Bunch of did it again! Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm joined, as always, by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Balls on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? Hey, babe, what's going on? Hey, doing good, Shane. And we got a terrific guest lined up. We got Brett Sianka of Pick 6 Podcast. He's going to help us break down some of these SEC bowl opponents. So we've got some really great stuff lined up. But before we get to that, Shane, before we get into the SEC content, remember we had Brett on the podcast earlier in the preseason. Mm -hmm. Kind of share his thoughts on everything. And uh, I know this is outside the SEC, but one of the biggest – you know, stunning things. He said Utah, one of his college football playoff picks that turned a lot of heads. I know it raised my eyebrow, and hell, they damn near did it, Shane. But they so came close, up Mike. just <laughs> short. But because we got Brett coming back on, we just found this clip. This is hilarious. This is uh, the Utah head coach, Kyle Whittingham. They're playing Texas in their bowl game. And uh, he was asked about his working out, and Tom Herman couldn't believe it, so I, I just knew we had to share this one. Actually, for you, Coach Winningham, um, I've worked out for six straight days. What is your workout streak, and how do you stay motivated? <laughs> uh, it's kind of a sickness now. I've, yeah, I've, I've been uh, doing it for uh, a while. Um, so what do you want to know, how many days I've done it? or what's your... I, I think it was how many days have you done it, and how do you keep motivated? Uh, well, it keeps me sane. If I didn't do it, I'd go insane. It's more for a mental deal than, than physical, but uh, we're right around 4,000 days, give or take. So, leave it at that. I try to. I, Straight I'm, days. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to constantly. That's real. That's real. That's real. <laughs> like I said, it's a, it's an illness. It's a mental illness. But I, I'm constantly like walking, running. What? Yeah, all you know, running, elliptical, stair step, you name it, swimming. You know, something every day. Four thousand. Four thousand. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but, all right, Shane. So. <laughs> I did the math on this one, Shane. It's about 11 years That's consecutive right. working out. Sounds like he's got a streak as long as your streak away from the gym. <laughs> I was about to say, I'm, 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 about, I'm about to start, Mike, you know? You know, a streak's got to begin somewhere. But, you know, it's the holidays. <laughs> Everybody's bringing this stuff to the office. It's like, you know, I, I'm all pumped up. And they're like, hey, did you try June's fudge yet? <laughs> like, no. Where's it at? <laughs> oh, Jan 1's right around the corner, man. I'll, I'll start after the uh, the Gator Bowl. How about that? 
Sounds good to me, Shane. You ready to go around the league? Yeah, man. Let's do it. Now let's go now around, let's the, go league. around the, league. the league. My my daughters said something about me wearing a visor and need to put on a hat because I'm getting bald. So uh, <laughs> I'm gonna wear a hat from here on out. I mean, if you look over the next six years, I think we played Miami three times, Florida State six times, South Florida three times, Mississippi State once. So who's the SEC teams? You know, I mean, I don't think I think it's an injustice for the kids. They should, we should mix those games up, and you should, um, you know, play more teams from the West. Why don't you start calling around and see if you can get somebody else to play us, and we'll play them. We'll play anybody you can get to play us. In Louisiana, hold on a second. Hey guys. Hey, I'm having a press conference, okay? Thank you. All right, Shane, before we hit on some of these teams, just wanted to get uh, your thoughts on this. Uh, this week, the SEC announced the 2019 SEC Football Awards. There's not a ton of them, so you know we don't have to spend a half the damn show on this or anything, but this is voted on by the SEC head coaches. The only stipulation is you cannot vote for your own guy. So uh, here we go with the offensive MVP, Joe Burrow. I don't think there's any surprise there. Mm-hmm. Defensive MVP, Derek Brown from Auburn. Special teams player of the year, Jalen Waddell from Alabama. Freshman of the year, mm-hmm. Bo Nix from Auburn. The Jacobs blocking trophy goes to the uh, SEC's most outstanding offensive lineman. Goes to Andrew Thomas of Georgia. And then coach of the year, Ed Ogeron, Coach O, Shane, thoughts on those selections? Dude, I'm trying to think if I would go – I mean, the only one that would be close, and I'm not saying that it's like like not in day, but, you know, freshman of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that he beat Alabama and, you know, I I, I can't see going – I mean, maybe uh, – what's his name? LSU cornerback, mm-hmm. you know, Stingley, maybe something like that, but – I, I think I'm going to go Bo Nix on this one as well. Yeah, and I, it's interesting you say that, Shane. I, w- I was hoping you would say that because I saw a ton of reaction where, you know, Stingley made the big play there against Auburn. He picked off Bo Nix. He made some big plays there at Georgia. Obviously, I think they would have even won without Stingley's performance in the SEC championship game. But he stepped up in a big-time way showed his presence everybody on the national stage got to see what Derek Stingley's all about if they hadn't seen him before made the big plays in the Florida game including the essentially the game defining interception in the end zone so mm-hmm. there was a lot of buzz Derek Stingley should have got this award and I see what people are saying and I'm about to piss off LSU fans but I just think it's a little bit tougher and I'm not saying it's easy to be a defensive back in the SEC as a freshman. That's incredibly hard. But I just think it's a lot tougher to be a quarterback, a starting quarterback in this league when you got to face the likes of Alabama, Georgia, LSU. They went on the road, Oregon. I mean, that was just a hellacious slate. And yeah. I know Bo Nix didn't come out of it looking like a Heisman contender, but I think anyone with realistic expectations didn't expect that from him. But you know, from from the, the highlight of that Oregon game when he threw the touchdown to the back end when he's beaten Alabama, I have no problem with Bo Nix being freshman of the year. And again, that's not to say Stingley doesn't deserve it. Didn't deserve. He was. I'm sure he was the runner-up. But uh, I I was kind of surprised at how much you know outrage I saw from that one. 
And then the only one that I kind of take exception with, I was kind of surprised you didn't go here, Shane Jacobs, blocking trophy. Nothing against Andrew Thomas. He he deserves this award. Uh, there was no backlash to it, but I would have liked to seen Trey Smith win that one. Uh, mm-hmm. Given everything that, uh, you know, he didn't even get to play most of last year or, or the tail end of last year. He barely even practices. He's not allowed contact in, until Saturday. And he's just out there mauling people. So I kind of would like to see Trey Smith get a little extra recognition there, get that block, uh, Jacobs blocking trophy. That's uh, That would be pretty much the only gripe I have on this one. <laughs> I'd say if, I mean, honestly, if I'm, I mean, I didn't want to sound like a homer. Obviously, I really like, uh, I like Trey Smith. I love his story, but it's a shame they couldn't give that trophy to the entire Kentucky offensive line, you know, because what they've been able to do this season has been amazing. You know, a lot of people uh, are excited about Lynn and everything he's brought to uh, brought up there to the university, but, you know, it all started in the trenches, and those boys made some spots open for Lynn to get those uh, crazy 200 rushing yard games. So that's the, that's the only – maybe I could see that, you know, but it's an individual trophy, so I'm, I'm not opposed to uh, – uh, big boy down in Georgia because he is a he is a damn brick house, you know. Yeah, without a doubt. All right, Shane, let's jump on down to Oxford. Well, I feel like we're gonna be jumping down to Oxford a hell of a lot more now with old Lane Kiffin down there. Isn't it you know awesome? What? I mean, is it isn't it great? I mean, it's nothing against Coach Luke because golly, you know, I was high on Luke there for a long time, and but now it's just I don't know, it's just kind of exciting what's going on down there in Ole Miss I mean he's just tweeting out these pictures all the time I'm, I'm following his I'm timeline I'm like what's he gonna do next I don't know you know NCAA is already down there you got set up a little mobile office you know <laughs> well right before we hopped on here Shane Ole Miss has named their offensive coordinator they went with Jeff Libby and that's a name that a lot of SEC fans probably not familiar with he was the Central Florida UCF offensive coordinator the past two years they were averaging 43 points per game I've heard a lot of good things about this guy I know Jeremy Pruitt almost hired this guy Shane to be his offensive coordinator Uh, this guy's very well respected and you know what's funny about this another layer you know a lot of people thought Kiffin was going to look at Kendall Bryles Mm -hmm. his former offensive coordinator down there at FAU last season Florida State offensive coordinator Jeff Libby, this guy here, is the brother-in-law of Kendall Bryles. So <laughs> that that's just fascinating. And I guess that what that says is Kendall Bryles is probably going to take a head coaching job somewhere. I have no idea of, of where that could be, but because you got to think that would be the natural hire. And then he probably let Kiffin know, hey, I'm getting a head coaching job. Maybe you'll look at my brother-in-law here, Jeff Libby. He's killing it down there at Central Florida. I know they had uh, you know that quarterback, Mackenzie Milton, who did really well till he got injured. So – this is, uh, you know, it's going to be Kiffin's offense, but Jeff Libby, I think, I really like these coaches that bring in uh, people that, uh, you know, not yes men by any means, but someone that can kind of bring him new ideas, new schemes. And with Kiffin down at FAU, I'm sure he had his eye often on UCF and what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, I can't come up with a with anything negative to say about this. I think this is a really good hire, up-and-coming hire here by Lane Kiffin. Yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, he is young, I mean, real young, and uh, doesn't have a lot of experience, so I think it's going to be more of a Kiffin offense with, you know, Libby eventually taking the reins, I would imagine, you know, once he learns, once they get their style meshed together, you know, Mm -hmm. um, it should be exciting. He's hired a couple of coaches, hasn't he? 
He has, well, that that was the only one we were unaware of. Then the other two were the ones he announced during his presser. Kevin Smith, who they've not assigned yet. Likely he's going to be the running backs coach. And then Wilson Love, the strength coach. But it's funny that you mentioned that, Shane, because according to Aaron Suttles of The Athletic, Lane Kiffin, now this is, this is kind of hard to believe, but this is straight from Aaron Suttles, a, a piece he wrote this week, just... I believe this came out on Wednesday. He says Lane Kiffin took this Ole Miss job specifically to get back at Nick Saban for firing him at the end of that tenure there at Alabama. And he says he's trying to hire the strength coach, Scott Cochran, to on field. (laughs) And here's the thing. So Kirby tried to hire Scott Cochran. Jeremy Pruitt tried to hire Scott Cochran. Why would Lane Kiffin get Scott Crockin when all these other people have tried and failed? Well, according to Aaron Suttles, they're offering Scott Cochran a role on the coaching staff, not strength staff, but actual coaching staff for the 10-man staff. So it's going to be interesting to see, Shane, mm-hmm. if they finally – I mean, it almost seems like Kiffin's hiring this guy just to take him away from Nick Saban. But, man, this is just uh, adding to the intrigue of Kiffin in the back in the SEC – I don't know if this is true. Again, this is Aaron Suttles reporting it of The Athletic, but it just, uh, man, it just makes it that much more intriguing if that's really where Kiffin's head is at. Boy, that almost feels like a spot hire, man. You know, I mean, he's, (laughs) uh, you know what I'm saying? He's, you know, a lot of people have crowned him as the the best, you know, strength and conditioning coach. And the fact that you're just going to remove that completely and put him on the field, it almost feels like, I mean, put him at a, at a position that he's never done before in his life. You know, it just feels like that's just a stab. So if it ever happened, but you know, I've heard a couple other interesting names. I heard T Martin was uh, one that he was kind of looking at too. Have you heard that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he's going to be looking at a lot of guys in the SEC. I think he's most of his moves are not going to be made to just kind of hurt other teams in the SEC, but I think he sees the value in these guys. Now to get a guy like T Martin, he may have already may have missed the boat because I think he would have to give him offensive coordinator duties. Maybe he'll give him co-offensive coordinator. I think uh, – I'm not sure if T. Martin has that title at Tennessee right now or not. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting. I think this is going to be a staff with the, this heavily SEC influence. So that's just something to keep in mind, Shane. But Kiffin recently here on Wednesday, he was on the Dan Patrick show. He had a chance to kind of needle Saban. Which is that? That's why it's kind of interesting when you got these, you know, these reports that he's kind of coming after Saban, and then in the public view, like we're about to play you here, Dan Patrick asked Lane Kiffin, "How much longer is Nick Saban going to coach?" And uh, I was kind of surprised by what Lane Kiffin had to say here. How long do you think Saban's going to coach for? I think a long time. Really? Know. Yeah, I, I do. I mean, what else is he going to do? I mean, does he have any hobbies? Yeah. He, he does golf, um, but but he's miserable. So, <laughs> Wait. And I mean, I mean that in a way. But he, he's—it's why he's so good. He is singularly focused on the University of Alabama and football at Alabama, every minute of every day. Even if he's golfing, even if he's on a boat, I mean, you know, he's got his recruiting calls to make every night, you know, whether it's Christmas or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Every day is the same, and that's why he's so good. So I don't know how he could retire. I think. You know, my dad's like that. And yeah. My dad's turning 80 this year and still coaching for us, walking around the field, you know, 
meeting with players, you know, helping young coaches. So, you know, there are certain people like that. I, I you know, I call them like prisoners. Like they can't go in the real world. Like Shawshank Redemption. You know, when when Brooks Hadler goes in the real world, he can't he can't do it. He's like, wait, I, I need to be in prison. You know, so they come back. Well, I remember Brent Musburger telling me that Joe Paterno would die on the job because he's a lifer. That you know that you're you're afraid to stop. All right, Shane. So you heard it there from Kiffin. He doesn't think Nick Saban's going anywhere anytime soon. And I guess when you put it this way, given his connection to his father and seeing that his, his father still has that drive to keep coaching, I could certainly see that. What were your thoughts when you heard this one? Man, I can think about that as old man at Shawshank Redemption, you know. And I could see, I could see Nick having a pet crow named Jake, you know, and just feeding him little baby maggots, you know, <laughs> like that's his hobby. So, uh, no, I, I I love this, and uh, he's right, you know. But it's not just football. I mean, you see this everywhere, man. I mean, think about jobs you've had in the past. There's sometimes there's just there's those guys that just they don't have no quit in them. They're afraid to quit. You know, they want to keep going. They want to have something to do. You know, our grandfather was like that. He, he didn't want to quit and they, they forced him to do it. And he had to find stuff to get into, you know, to stay busy. There's just, that's that old school mentality, man. You know, I mean, this is, you got to think that's a different generation, man. And those, those guys have gone through some tough times and, and uh, I, I, I'm with him. I think Saban's going to coach till he just visit till he, I think when he notices that he's not got it all mentally, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not wishing it on him or anything like I ever said it ever happens, but I think Saban is smart enough to know that when he can't, you know, when, when he, if he loses any cognitive function, I think he's out, you know what I'm saying? But now he, you got me thinking, Shane. Any chance this was a dig by Kiffin to say hey, he's that old damn man from Shank, Shawshank where <laughs> he's whittling his initials wherever he goes? <laughs> Here's another way to look at it: this Kiffin could be right. I mean, Saban could be a lifer here. And there was a time when Joe Paterno, you know, he his Penn State tenure, you know, kind of went sideways. They were losing a lot, and then they managed to fix it there towards the end. I don't think Alabama fans, as great as Nick Saban is and everything he's done for them, if he starts going eight and four, eight and four, nine and three, hell, I think they're going to fire his ass. I mean, with the expectations he's set up, any chance that happens? Yeah, maybe it is a dig, you know. I mean, did compare him to 80-year-old Monty, you know. I mean, think about that, 80-year-old Monty. He's like, he compared him to his dad. And uh, Monty doesn't want to let go of the game either. And I think you're right. I think I think Bama expectations are extremely high. And this is just a, you know, they're pissed, man. They didn't make the playoffs. You know right. what I'm saying? I think they do have a great team. But if Tua was healthy and, you know, things would have went a little bit different, especially that LSU game, you know, the, the Auburn game, I mean, anything. They could, they'd be right in the mix. But – I don't know, man. I, I I don't know. I don't know how short. It sounds so stupid, man. I don't know how short Saban's leash is, mm-hmm. you know, and and if he even has a leash. But I, I think if they just continually miss the SEC championship and the playoffs from here on out, eventually something's going to give. They're not going to go the Mark Rick route with this one, you know. Right. All right, Shane. Let's jump down to Columbia, Missouri. M I Z. We're old. 
Eli Drinkowitz made a couple of coaching moves here. So he's bringing two guys from Appalachian State to Missouri. That's official now. Charlie Harbison, who they have not officially given a title. They're just saying he's a defensive coach. I believe he coached outside linebackers, I think, for Appalachian mm-hmm. State. So it's going to be something like that. Eric Link, who coached special teams at Appalachian State, is going to do the same thing for Missouri. And then uh, I can't recall if we hit on this or not, but he's expected to bring back Ryan Walters, the defensive coordinator, Brick Haley, the defensive line coach, David Gibbs, the cornerback, all from the previous staff. Now, it's going to be interesting because there's there's rumblings. We'll get to Arkansas in just a moment here, but there's rumblings that Barry Odom headed to Arkansas. He may try to get some of these guys to come with him. You know, you can't blame any of these coaches here for – they're under contract, so they got to, you know, they got to earn their money. Barry Odom is currently unemployed, so they got to think of themselves here. So I understand why they're accepting these roles here with Missouri, but I just think it's it'll be fascinating to see if Barry Odom gets a job if he tries to hire any of these guys to come with him. That's something to watch out for. Now, as for coaches that are not coming back to Missouri, these are official. Andy Hill, the previous special teams at coach, he's out. Carnell Ford, the running backs coach, and uh, AJ Ofadal, the tight ends coach, he's out. Those are these are all time lifers there at Missouri. So it's kind of like a changing of the guard. You kind of expect that because Eli Drinkowitz didn't have the connections there in Missouri. But I just wanted to make note of all those changes. Uh, thoughts on uh, Eli Drinkowitz? Kind of got to get get his own staff in there, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, and this is something that we're, I'd like to ask uh, Brad about a little bit, you know, just because he's probably dealt with more of his coaching style and, and what, we're, what we'll probably see next year in the SEC from coach here. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, he's making moves. He's doing the right things. I've seen him on the, on the Twitters, you know, kissing babies and shaking hands <laughs> this week and talking to recruits, you know. So he's, he's out there. He's doing his thing. And, and um, I don't know. This is the one I – I'm most interested in it's, it. It feels like I know what I'm going to get with Lane. I know what I'm going to get with Sam. I don't know what we're going to get out of Mizzou next year right now. All right, Shane. Well, let's jump on down to Fayetteville where Woo-pig. Cam Curl. I thought this was pretty surprising. Defensive back announced he's leaving to go pro. Now, I guess maybe it's not surprising in the sense that obviously it's going to be a new coach, new system. So maybe he just doesn't want to learn everything all over again. But that was pretty surprising to me. I thought, uh, you know, he could use another year to to help his stock, NFL stock there. Uh, but in addition to that, Shane, Sam Pittman keeping Justin Stepp, the receivers coach, is a guy who's a longtime Chad Morris assistant, was with him at SMU. And uh, I really like this move here by Sam Pittman because Justin Stepp, probably the best recruiter on Chad Morris's staff. You know, he was a guy that uh, that was instrumental in getting Traylon Burks, Trey Knox, Shamir Nash, all these guys to Fayetteville this time last year. And Traylon Burks was just named All-SEC freshman team. Trey Knox, we've seen enough from him to know that he's a quality SEC player. So, you know, it's really important, I think, for those players to keep the same position coach. And maybe even Sam Pittman looking at this like, if we get rid of this guy, we may lose some of these talented receivers. So, mm-hmm. And it kind of goes the theme with what Sam Pittman said when he got hired. You know, it's not going to be ground and pound, smash mouth. I think if it was, I don't think he'd be keeping this receivers coach. So that's that's an important note. Uh, but uh, thoughts on that, Shane, where Sam Pittman keeping a little continuity. We still don't know who the offensive coordinator is. 
We don't know who the defensive coordinator is, but like I said, Barry Odom's the popular name. It looks like he's going to head down to Arkansas. Waiting for that to be official. Not saying it is, but all indications are Sam Pittman going to keep just well for he's for sure keeping Justin step but he may be getting Barry Odom which I think that'd be a hell of a hire dude that would be a home run hire if he could get Barry you know I mean somebody that's been in the situation that Sam's currently in you know so I think he'd be a great mentor and and they could build around that and you know that's what he wants I know I know he's he's he talked about the RPOs and being a little flashy and having fun and stuff but you know, Sam's a Sam's a lineman, man, and you know we we like it playing physical offense, physical defense, and that's something that Barry can bring to the table. So um, if they're able to get him, I think that would be a fantastic hire. Yeah, and here's another way to look at it, Shane. So Missouri, I think they've done arguably a better job than Arkansas recruiting the state of Arkansas under Barry Odom. So he's got those connections in that state already. Players and coaches, high school coaches, can you know, trust that Barry Odom is going to take care of their players because these players have done fairly well for Missouri. And then you know, we had T.J. Moe on last week, and he was talking about how Barry Odom kind of bridging the gap there in, in the state of Missouri. So you know, Eli Drinkowitz is not going to have any relationship right now with the coaches in Missouri. So Barry uh, Odom, you're looking at, he may be a better recruiter in the state of Missouri than – damn near anyone on Missouri staff. He may yeah. be the best recruiter in the state of Arkansas on Arkansas staff. So outside of just his his knowledge, his history, his, everything that comes with getting a guy like Barry Odom, I think that could be a great recruiting hire too for Sam Pittman. Absolutely. I mean, they're saving a little money with Morris down there and Auburn staff <laughs> payroll now, you know what I'm saying? And they're not paying Sam that much. And I, I think they can afford a little bit more for these assistant coaches. So I hope they give them some money, man. That'd be awesome. All right, Shane, let's jump on down to Gainesville. Where there's a buzz that Dan Mullen may be interested <laughs> in them Dallas Cowboys. Now, I think this was kind of pure speculation. This all started because of the NFL Network's Daniel Jeremiah, who is actually he's very plugged into NFL circles, obviously working at NFL Network, but you know, they were asking him who he thought would be the next Dallas Cowboys coach. And he the one name he gave out was Dan Mullen. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not saying Dan Mullen's going or anything, but uh, here during the, you know, the bowl prep, whatever, Dan Mullen was asked, actually asked about the NFL. I don't know. He has some interesting comments here. Well, you know what? I've never been in the NFL, so it's not even something I've even thought or considered. Uh, you know, I've never even been an assistant coach at the NFL. So, um, you know, in life, if it does, uh, if, if someone ever calls me, then I, I would probably consider it then. But I, I, it's not even something I've considered at this point. All right, Shane. So I think Dan Mullen kind of handled this almost as well as you could have. You know, he could have just said, you know, I'm, never, I'm not going to the NFL. I've never thought the NFL, but I at least I can appreciate his honesty here to where you know, it would make him think. But I also think he makes a lot of good points here that – now, we've seen it. We've seen it with a guy like um, – who was that former Texas Tech coach who now he's the Arizona Cardinals coach? I mean – Oh, yeah, yeah. No, Kingsbury, I, I mean – Kings, yeah. These moves do happen, but I don't know if it would make a ton of sense for the Dallas Cowboys, a established brand that big, to hire someone that's got no NFL experience, never even been assistant at the NFL – I mean, how's this guy going to build an NFL staff? Who is he just going to bring college coaches? I don't know. But uh, <laughs> just what are your thoughts on on Dan Mullen? Just the speculation that he could potentially be Dallas Cowboys coach. 
You know, I was listening to something the other day, and I can't remember exactly where it was, but they were talking about this, and uh, they were talking about the next Dallas coach that comes in. You know, if they do come in, Jerry Jones has, you know, he's the GM. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's (laughs) he'll always be the GM. So if a head coach comes in like Bill Parcell did in the past and said, okay, if I'm going to take his job, uh, you know, I'm going to have full reins. This is my team. I pick who we draft. I pick, you know, I think if Jerry didn't want to deal with that, but wanted to deal with a good X and O coach, I think Dan Mullen would be a good hire because somebody that's not done, it's not going to argue about the GM situation. You know what I'm saying? He's that's one thing that he's not going to have to worry about. He's just going to have to focus on the development and the players on the field, which he's really good at doing, you know, Uh, identifying talent and uh, building the team up. So I don't think it would be a crazy hire. Uh, I think, you know, I think it'd be something that Jerry Jones would consider, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if he's big enough for Dallas. Uh, I know it sounds crazy, but I I think they're thinking, you know, they're thinking somebody else. And this, this, if you listen to the questions, it didn't, you know, there's, there's no other articles writing about Dan going to Dallas. You know, this is just something that kind of flared up. So Mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get too worried if I'm a Gator fan. But do know you you got a hell of a coach down there, and there's going to be some people trying to steal them in the future if uh, if they keep these ten win se- ten plus win seasons up, you know. All right, Shane, gun to your head. Dan Mullen is offered the Dallas Cowboys job. Does yeah. he does he take it? Hell yeah, he take it. Why would you? T- I mean, you know what I'm saying. That's yeah. like a that's kind of I, that's exactly how I feel. But I'm I also agree with you. I don't think he's on the list or at the top of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. What about saving? I mean, (laughs) one last, can I start that? Can I start that rumor? You know, he wants one last run at it and he's running from Kiffin. Well, maybe it's the whole Dak Prescott thing. That's probably where it came up. I'm trying to think how it came together. So yeah. Yeah. It's not going to happen, but it's still, it's still fun to talk about. All right, Shane, we've got some news here. We're going to group it together. Texas A&M and Mississippi State. A defensive lineman for the Aggies, Justin Matabuke, announced he is going pro and he will not play in the Texas Bowl against Oklahoma State. While Kylan Hill from Mississippi State, running back, SEC leading rusher, announced he is also going pro early, but he will play in the Music City Bowl. So thoughts on these, Shane, where I think Matabuke – you know, he's been Texas A&M's best defensive lineman this year. There's always money for these defensive linemen. I think that's he's making the right move. He led the team in sacks and tackles for loss. I mean, this guy had – how many times you see an interior lineman have over 100 tackles in his career playing th- just three years? And really just yeah. two for the Aggies. So Justin Matabuke, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think he's going to be a first-rounder. Kylan Hill – I think he could be a really good pro. I don't think he was necessarily going to be a first rounder, but I almost always encourage these running backs that as soon as you can make that money, go make it because this, you know, the lifespan is just yeah. not that good in the NFL for running backs. So I, I think I'm on board with both of these decisions. Yeah, me too. Hill's been flirting with it for a few days now, messing with people. So at least we don't <laughs> have to see his, his tweets anymore about it. <laughs> All right, final thing I got here, Shane, jump on down to Athens. The Bulldogs, Shane, first fallout from Sam Pittman because Joshua Braun, one of their elite offensive linemen, 
has decommitted from the program following Sam Pittman's departure. Mm. Sounds like... I believe he's scheduled to take a visit to Florida leading up to the early signing day. He picked Georgia over Florida. So it certainly sounds like he's given Florida every opportunity to flip him. And then big news here, Shane. I've been cleared by the NCAA. I'm allowed <laughs> to discuss this recruitment. Tate Ratledge, their other, well, they've got a, they've got several linemen committed, but one of the better ones here who his recruitment, I don't think it's open necessarily, but – Matt Luke, they they sent. Uh, it's funny because he goes <laughs> he goes to a school, Shane. It's called the Darlington School. Yeah. As soon as Kirby showed up, as soon as Matt Luke showed up, man, this uh, the official Darlington School accounts posting photos. You know, they're trying to get people to come to their site, check out all the photos with Kirby and Matt Luke meeting with Tate Ratledge here, and yeah. then here on Thursday, Shane, Tennessee, they sent the moose down there. Uh oh, Brian Niedermeyer. And no photos came from the Darlington school. So. <laughs> I don't Did know. Did he not it... get to come in a helicopter too? <laughs> I don't know who's running that thing, Shane, but I think it's pretty clear they're a Georgia Bulldog fan, and uh, there's nothing wrong with that. But just think that's funny. Where what thoughts on that, Shane? The bit Georgia's one of their key recruits getting Tennessee treatment here by uh, the ace recruiter, national recruiter, reigning national recruiter of the year, Brian Niedermeyer. I think uh, what Tennessee's rooting here for. Now, Tate Ratledge is not expected to enroll early. So I think just the hope is if you're a Tennessee, if you're another school trying to recruit this kid, you're just trying to just tell him not, don't sign that dotted line until February. <laughs> Give us some time here. Did uh, did K transfer too? Is that true? Have you heard that? The K train? No, he's still in Athens. Or okay. All right. Maybe I'm just getting – Man, I'm just trying to get this hot train fired up, Mike. You know what I'm saying? I'm just uh, the, it's funny when the first kid de- decommitted. I was reading a few, a few of them, and it's 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 the same every university, including Tennessee. You know, when one leaves or decommits, it's like the first twenty responses, like, yeah, we're just making room. You know? <laughs> Bigger, better things are coming, Mike. You know, it's like the same response. What's the one that they always say? Cycled, not cycled out, but uh, processed. Uh, processed. Yeah, he got processed. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, I did notice the tape. I was curious because uh, the very next day, there's Coach Luke and his new gear, and mm-hmm. they're talking about the helicopter flying in and how great they had. And I, and I not, nothing about the moose going down there. So I thought that was kind of funny, but got to be careful, dude. Moose is a hell of a recruiter. So there's no telling what he said to tell Tate. So I don't know. This, this is going to be an interesting one, but he, he's going to be a tough one to flip. His dad's done put that decal on the truck, you know? <laughs> all right, Shane, that's all I got. So uh, let's hop on over to our interview with Brett Sianca of Pick 6 Previews. Well, let me go grab another beer first. All right, so we're pleased to be joined by Brett Sianca of Pick 6 Previews. You can follow him on Twitter, at Pick 6 Previews, one of the best Twitter followers there on the entire platform. Uh, you know, he comes with the preseason magazines. He's did that before the season. I was fairly new to his preview magazines. He gave us a preview edition. It's, it's the best one on the market, without a doubt, in my opinion. And thanks to all his work with the magazine, with his Twitter, his outstanding following there. He is now an official Heisman voter. I believe this is the first Heisman vote uh, trophy presentation that he has voted for. 
So we're pleased to be joined by Brett Sianka. Thanks so much for joining us, Brett. We really do appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Mike, for all the kind words. And, and for Cousin Shane, I don't have any uh, beer cans to, to flip open <laughs> this time around. I, I tried that in the preseason on the show. I got um, you. But I will, give you a, I will give you a hey, buddy, for sure. So, uh, yeah, thanks, uh, thanks for having me back on. I'm excited to be back on. Uh, it's been a heck of a season, like Mike said. Uh, the book really took off and, uh, and, and gained some Heisman Trust uh, attention. So it's been a truly an honor to, to vote on that award. Uh, I think it's, to me, it's really the ultimate honor in, in college football. So I don't, I don't view that lightly. It's, uh, it's been quite an accomplishment I'm proud of. And, uh, and yeah, it's been an exciting season. I'm ready to break down these bowls for you guys. Well, before we get to the bowls, I just wanted to ask you real quick, how does that come about? Because I would think most of our listeners, obviously, they all know what the Heisman Trophy is, but none of them are official voters. How does that, uh, you know, come about? I mean, um, that, I was very curious to hear that. Not surprised that you got a vote. I think you probably should have gotten one a long time ago. But I'm just curious about how, how that all came about. And uh, I bet it took you about half a second to accept. <laughs> yeah, of course. Now, yeah, thanks for the comment there. And uh, really how it works with the Heisman is uh, I think there's about 900 votes nationally, right? And they break it down into four regions. So you have your Mid-Atlantic, your South, uh, the West, and the Midwest. Uh, and amongst each region, uh, each state by state, it's, it's broken down state by state, the, the amount of FBS teams in your state. So uh, I'm based out of Pennsylvania, actually. And uh, so we have Pitt, Penn State, and Temple. There's three teams. So there's X amount of votes, right? And uh, it turns out that uh, the, the guy in charge of PA region, uh, Pennsylvania, ended up getting my book and, and was blown away. He was asking me, you know, how many writers do you have on this thing? How many editors? And and when I kept telling him, it's just me, it's just me, he was, he was blown away. So, um, yeah, so I gladly accepted that Heisman invite. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just truly an honor. So I was just blown away by it, too, on my end. So kind of just happened, and, uh, and here I am. And like I said, it's just the ultimate honor. Uh, and this goes out to really all the followers uh, and, and, you, and all the podcast hosts, like you guys that have you know, brought me on their shows and shared my stuff on Twitter uh, and have you know, spread the book. Because really, this started out of thin air back in 2012, and it's been a daily thing, and, uh, and, we, and we built it you know, from the ground up. And similar to how you guys have built your, your, uh, your podcast and show and Twitters organically, uh, a lot of respect for doing it uh, on your own like you guys are, and same from my end. So, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a journey, and uh, yeah, it's just uh, another step. I want to build this into 2020 and keep the momentum rolling. Now, my only other question about the Heisman, it's my understanding that you're not allowed to talk about who you voted for until it's official is that correct yeah that is true uh can't reveal that until saturday night uh and just knowing how college football twitter works i might never reveal it you know because uh, you're never you're never <laughs> right you know you're gonna get a lot of complaints either way but you know what all four candidates were incredible this season i could have listed out another four or even 40 for that matter so many just incredible individual performances we saw all season um and yeah it, it actually really was a tough task whittling it down to three because the heisman works where they send you the ballot uh and it's three blank lines it's, it's not like a drop down menu where you pick out of these you know pre-selected candidates it's you're filling out one two three and it's a blank slate and so you gotta you gotta come up with your own three guys and it was hard to whittle it down to three like i said so all very deserving and you guys got to witness one in your own conference this year uh with joe burrow so it's incredible stuff so real quick so this isn't an email or anything like that. This is a legit postcard that you've got to, is it like a super secret wax seal you got to use? Or is this, I mean, how, is this one of yeah, those things you got to, <laughs> yeah. Is it one um, of those yeah, that decoder I actually, 
Yeah, I was actually a little bit bummed. I kind of wanted to get the big paper ballot. It's actually electronic now. But uh, okay. the crazy thing is, is uh, it, it's, it was the most secure thing I've ever signed into. It was like three you know, multi-factor sign-ins, like three different passwords. Then they call you and give you the code to log in. It's, it was actually incredible getting in there. But, uh, yeah, once you get in there, you feel like you broke into like a safe or something, you know. But, um, no, it was, it was a pretty unique process, and I'm excited to you know, continue going forward. All right, Brett. So the real reason we wanted to have you on Heisman Talk aside Obviously, all these bowl games, Shane and I, we just deep dive on all these teams in the SEC, but we don't really follow the teams outside the SEC, so we knew you'd be the perfect person, considering you break down the entire Power Five, every conference, every team. Give us your thoughts on each one of these games. We're just going to go game by game, and we got to start because of our Tennessee homer there, Cousin Shane. Let's go to the Gator Bowl, where Tennessee is playing Indiana out of the Big Ten, and uh, as of we recording here, Tennessee's favored just slightly by a point and a half. What can you tell our listeners about Indiana heading into this matchup with Tennessee? Yeah, so Indiana, you got to picture where they're based. They're in, right, they're in the Big Ten East behind all those four powerhouses, the Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State, Penn State batch. Uh, so every year coming in, you know, it's always, it's always a race for fifth almost. So, um, you know, the same thing kind of held true this year. They got blown out by Ohio State by 41. Michigan beat them by 25. They kept it close with Michigan State and Penn State. Uh, they couldn't get the job done there. Uh, but on the other flip of the coin, they won a lot of one-score games against other Big Ten opponents, uh, beating Maryland and Nebraska and Purdue. Uh, so, you know, a decent resume. They're eight wins, uh, which is a pretty, pretty much a high point for Indiana the last quarter century, I'd say. Uh, so you got to credit Tom Allen, the other head coach. Uh, one, one other note for Indiana, um, you know, Obviously, in the college football playoff this year, three of the four teams are transfer portal quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other side of that is, is you know, the respect of a guy that stays, right? So Peyton Ramsey, he was a starter for a year or two, uh, had an incredible completion percentage. I think it's actually a school record. He comes back. He actually loses his starting job, stays around on campus. And this is pretty rare nowadays. A guy would just jet to the portal, stays on campus, starter gets injured, and Ramsey comes back in and kind of leads a winning streak. So... It was cool to see a guy stay with his team, uh, keep working at, keep working at it, and uh, and then getting the call again and and, and winning some games. So uh, it'll be a tough game. My my game grader formula actually agrees with Vegas here. I actually have it minus one, just like Vegas. Um, I'd lead in Tennessee. I mean, yeah, obviously it got yeah, off yeah. to a rocky start. We were, we were joking in the pre-show, me and cousin Shane. Uh, you know, because I go back and uh, in the offseason I listen to uh, you know many podcasts, but definitely this one for the SEC, and this has my full endorsement uh, for the SEC podcast. But, uh, yeah, so I'm in the point of the season where they lose to Georgia State, and it's, uh, I hate having to relive that because <laughs> Shane. But, uh, but no, so I, I think the Tennessee has certainly rebounded well, uh, and they've, they've beaten some teams they should have and got some stretch wins, too, down the stretch. So I'm going to go with Tennessee minus one and, and straight up, obviously. Yeah, you may want to skip a few weeks uh, in that pause. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't it even gets, want to get to the point of BYU Hail Mary. Yeah, it gets a little uh, dark, man. Uh, well, let me ask you on on this Indiana. What type of offense are we going to see here? Is this going to be a? Uh, I know we we're talking about Ramsey. Is it going to be a spread style? Is it going to be up tempo? Is it? I mean, just what kind of offense would we expect to see here? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's nothing too uh, particular. It's it's kind of your your normal Big Ten offense. Uh, they have a feature back. It's not really a back by committee. It's Stevie Scott. He's nearing 1,000 yards, and last year I think had a, over 1,000. Uh, so picture a feature-back offense. 
Um, you know, it's it, 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 there's really no differentiator, you know, okay. outside of that. Um, really not much to worry about, I, I think, for, for Tennessee. Because, again, when you break down these close wins, they mm-hmm. easily could have lost a couple of those games to some really poor teams. Maryland, one of the worst in the conference. Purdue struggled this year under Brom. Uh, and then the Frost uh, year two for Nebraska was pretty weak. So, in fact, they barely beat them and, uh, and got blown out by really the, the two top teams in the Big Ten. I, I view them more as a six-and-six six kind of team. So I think Tennessee continues to roll. This is the kind of team that Tennessee has been beating, um, and I think that will continue. I like it. All right, let's kick it down to the Belk Bowl down in Charlotte. We got Kentucky. Now, they're the only team of these SEC ones in the postseason that is not favored, according to Vegas. Virginia Tech favored by three over Kentucky. What can you tell us about Virginia Tech? Yeah, so with Virginia Tech, uh, coming into the year, Fuente was a little bit on the hot seat there, head coach Justin Fuente, uh, and the season got off to a terrible start. Uh, in the first half of the season, they were bottom 10 in my, in my game grader, so really rough start. A couple FCS wins mixed in there. But really, uh, the light switch went off when they switched quarterbacks. They brought in a guy, Hendon Hooker. Uh, he's a runner, but also very efficient in the pass game. He's 11 touchdowns and just two picks. So since making that switch, they're 6-2. and two. Um, and top 20 in my game grader the second half of the year. So picture going from bottom 10 to top 20. Definitely a midseason turnaround, and they're coming in pretty hot. Um, you know, the ACC isn't exactly the, uh, you know, the strongest league. It's probably the weakest of the Power Five. Uh, so take that with a grain of salt. But they did, they did beat up on Wake Forest, which is a, an eight-win team, and almost knocked off Notre Dame. So I think this is a pretty solid team, and I can understand why uh, Vegas might be leaning their way. But here's the thing about Kentucky, and I, I know you guys have covered this on your show all season, but what, what Lynn Bowden did is just absolutely incredible, taking over uh, you know, as your makeshift quarterback, running some wildcat, but it's a damn efficient offense over there. Um, and it kind of brings me back to what I mentioned with the Heisman list, kind of you, know, you start with a wide scope. I mean, why not consider him for something like that? I know, obviously, you, know, you whittle it down, but uh, just an incredible performance by him. Uh, especially down the stretch into Louisville. I think he went for 250 yards. and It was just incredible to watch. Just to see an SEC team really running that offense and winning games, uh, you know, incredible. So I'm kind of torn there, and, and my formula agrees. I have it as a pick em. Um So I guess the value would be on Kentucky's side there. Uh, but, but look out for a kind of a red-hot Virginia Tech team who's going to be angry after losing their, uh, their rival game to UVA there. Let me ask you, on Virginia Tech, as far as rush defense, because that's what they're going to see quite a bit of, how do they compare against the other teams in that conference? Yeah, so rushing defense, uh, they are pretty solid there. Uh, they're, they're top 30, they're, okay. uh, so their average is three and a half yards per carry, top 30. Um, so I think that it'll be a tougher uh, rush defense than Kentucky faced in Louisville. Um, you know, previewing that game a few weeks back for uh, the Commonwealth Cup there, um, or the Governor's Cup, I believe it's called. Uh, yeah, so Louisville's rushing defense was pretty poor, and, and you saw what Bowden did to it. This will be definitely a step up. Another thing to consider, too, talking rush defense, Virginia Tech, it's Bud Foster's last game. Of course, that's the legendary defensive coordinator back from the Beamer days. I think he's like in his 30th year, but, but his final game. So you gotta you gotta imagine they're gonna go out inspired defense and uh, and try and shut down the Wildcat. We'll see. Okay, man. That so that sounds like that could be one of the sneaky good early bowl games. That's one to look forward to. Let's kick it down to the Music City Bowl here in Nashville, where I'm from. Mississippi State three and a half point favorite over Louisville. What can you tell us about the Cardinals? 
Yeah, so Louisville, we're talking about probably the worst Power 5 team last year. And now this is a team where, uh, of course, that was Petrino and, and his staff. And, you know, there's rumors that the staff kind of quit on the team and then the te- team quit on the staff. And it was just a pretty poor locker room there towards the end of the year. Uh, Vegas really couldn't keep up with how bad it was getting. The, you know, they kept lowering the spread each week, and they kept lowering the floor even worse. So, <laughs> so picture the, what, that's what Scott Satterfield took over. Of course, this is the App State coach that won all those games at App State. He's taking over the worst situation. He turns them around, you know, in one season, back to seven and five. Um, they're the most improved team year over year in my game grader. Uh, and when you're starting that low, it's pretty easy to do, right? But still, uh, but really the key differentiator, which I noticed, was they're pretty resilient. They're three and zero in one score games. That's beating Boston College, Wake, and UVA. Those are three bowl teams too. So the fact that we go from you know the mentality of a you know a poor locker room situation, quote unquote to then a resilient team and down the stretch in close games, you know, you got to credit Satterfield's turnaround. So, and what you're going to see out of Louisville, uh, really an explosive offense, but they really can't stop anyone as you saw in the Kentucky game. Um, really the headliner is probably Javian Hawkins. They're, they're running back. He's nearing 1500 yards for the season as a true freshman. Um, so really just explosive plays out of him and guys like Tutu Atwell and Seth Dawkins and Fitzpatrick. So, it's been a great turnaround, and uh, and you got to give Satterfield credit. He won't show up on any Coach of the Year lists, but when you when you consider what he inherited, it, it's pretty impressive. And that's one Joe Moorhead desperately needs to win, especially after Lane Kiffin getting hired at Ole Miss. Kiffin's getting all the buzz in that state. If if Joe Moorhead can't win that one, my God, he's he's going to be sitting on the probably the hottest seat in the SEC. Yeah, it's interesting too. Uh, oh, real quick on that with Moorhead, I saw a lot of uh, Rutgers Twitter. I know that. It's, mm-hmm. it's weird to imagine, but that does exist. Uh, yeah, but some Rutgers fans were, were tweeting about how, uh, you know, oh, don't give us Moorhead, don't give us Moorhead. It was, a, it was a bizarre exchange after they fired their coach that seems like nobody wants Moorhead. Maybe the, uh, you know, all the publicity has worn off. But, yeah, he desperately needs this one. <laughs> all 12 of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I didn't even know it existed, but they're out there. Let's kick it down to Houston for the Texas Bowl. Texas A&M. Four-and-a-half-point favorite, according to Vegas, over Oklahoma State. And uh, I don't know if you heard this, Brett, but uh, just on Thursday, Justin Matabuke, Texas A&M's outstanding defensive tackle, he has announced he is leaving school early for the NFL, will not play in the bowl game. Uh, What can you tell us there about Oklahoma State? Yeah, so with Oklahoma State, uh, first on a program level, this kind of gets overlooked nationally, but uh, they're top 10 in wins in the last decade. Uh, it, it's been a very consistent program. They're consistently number two in the Big 12 behind Oklahoma. Mike Gundy's got them averaging 9.3 wins a year over the decade. So uh, they're always right there. It's a matter of how great his quarterback is. It sounds funny, but when he has an elite quarterback, they're you know in the mix for a Big 12 or a BCS bid like they were in 2011. Uh, without the quarterback, they fall to 6-6 six and six or 7-5. and five. So uh, well, it was it was trending in that first category as the season was developing with this new true freshman Spencer Sanders, uh, a dual threat guy. But uh, he gets knocked down a couple weeks ago uh, out for injury, so they had their backup Drew Brown, a Hawaii transfer, in there, and uh, and the offense kind of fell flat. Um, the main storyline this year was probably Chuba Hubbard, uh, the, the the nation's leading rusher, almost at 2,000 yards and 21 touchdowns, and he was a guy that was kind of on the Heisman radar there. Uh, it's rare for a, t- for a player from a team that's not competing for a conference title or a national title to be on there. He was deserving. I wanted to see him in the, in the rivalry game against Oklahoma to end the year, 
see if he could have gone off for say 200 or 250 something crazy uh, rushing yards to really cement his seat in New York. Uh, came up short. Oklahoma pretty much shut him down. Uh, not having the quarterback certainly hurt. So, um, and yeah, from A and M's perspective, and you guys have talked about this, but it's uh, it's it's pretty rare to see a team just the contrast of their wins and then the losses. I mean, they they got hit with a terrible schedule. It's so hard, and they end up losing all five of those tough games, but then smoke the other seven. So hard to gain, you know, where they're going to shake out there. Have you heard any of Oklahoma State's guys sitting out for this game? Yeah, so the status there um, with Spencer Sanders, the quarterback I mentioned, he's doubtful. Uh, the issue being that, you know, he's coming back from his surgery. I think he's starting bowl practice on December 17th, which Gundy said would be halfway through their bowl season anyway. So I don't know. There's no decision there, but that, that'd be doubtful or at least impactful that he's missing half the bowl practice. The other guy, Hubbard, uh, that I mentioned, he's also questionable too. He's looking at draft grades and all that off the field stuff to see whether it makes sense to come back next year. Uh, to play in the game. That's kind of a newer fad we're seeing the last couple of years. So um, and that's one thing I wanted to forgot to mention at the top uh, in my preseason book, right? I'm, I'm researching this for months. I'm watching hours of game tape, listening to shows and everything. Uh, and you can really make calculated decisions. Bowl season, you can throw that out the window because <laughs> you have coaches coming and going. You got players, you know, some guys don't want to be there. That's the old expression. Uh, some, some players are sitting out for the pros. So there's just so many variables. It's hard to get inside the mindset, but try and stick to the facts as much as I can. I'll tell you what, A&M's rushing defense uh, will have to be will have to step up. I think they're middle of the pack nationally, uh, somewhere in the 50 range in rushing defense. They're going to get tested against Hubbard, so it'll be a good test. And and without uh, Matabuke, like uh, like Mike mentioned, might be a, a difficulty. All right, let's jump on down to Tampa for the Outback Bowl. Auburn, seven-and-a-half-point favorite, according to Vegas. They're playing Minnesota. What can you tell us about the Gophers? Yeah, Minnesota is also one of those surprise teams uh, that not many people saw coming. I know I actually didn't see it coming either. Um, I, I remember watching their spring game, and I just remember thinking, man, they only run one play. It's just this <laughs> slant pattern, this, this RPO slant. And uh, and here we are, you know, 10 months later, they're still running that same play, and people can't stop it. So uh, I got to credit the quarterback, Tanner Morgan, and, and their pair of receivers. Uh, it's really a great duo. It's Rashad Bateman and Ty Johnson. It's really just a bunch of slam patterns, some RPO, and then a couple of deep balls, and, and they're making plays over the corners and the linebackers. So uh, what looked simple in, in, in the spring game tape, I guess it is still simple, but they're, ma- they're executing it. So um, hats off to Fleck and, and the, him motivating that roster. A team that doesn't recruit with the likes of, uh, you know, with, with Nebraska and Ohio State and Michigan and those types. But remember, they beat Penn State, and, and they were a game away from uh, winning the division. Uh, but what, when it comes to this, uh, this Auburn matchup, I think that they have a serious issue in the trenches. When you look at Minnesota's, both their losses came to Iowa and Wisconsin, who are, in my opinion, two of the strongest teams in the conference in the Big Ten, uh, really built in the trenches, and that's where they got outclassed. So when you, when you try and line them up against Auburn, Auburn's defensive line might be the best in the country. Um, coming into it, I thought Utah might have been number one, and they were until the Oregon game, but I'd probably say Auburn right now. So I, I hate to see what Auburn's D-line does to this team. I think I'd, I'd take Auburn with whatever points they have at, at Vegas. Yeah, and we still don't know if Derek Brown, Auburn's uh, outstanding defensive lineman, if he's going to play. I know he was. He mentioned that on Thursday during the college football awards. He said he's definitely got a decision to make because you got to think he's going to be a high NFL 
uh, draft pick. But, you, you know, you mentioned those games Minnesota didn't match up in the trenches. Did they get blown out in those games that they lost, or, or were they relatively close? Because if you look at Auburn, yes, they have a couple losses, but, hell, you're talking to number one, to number seven, to number five. I mean, and those games, they were competitive. So, uh, you know, Auburn is, a, you know, a couple plays away from a college football playoff team. So do you think Minnesota can compete with a team as talented as Auburn? Yeah, so your question was, were those games competitive? The Iowa one definitely was. And now that was a one-score game. Minnesota actually outgained it by 150 yards. It was almost like the better team lost there. So I will give Minnesota that one. But in the season finale against Wisconsin, you could throw that out the window. Wisconsin won by 21, outgained them by 100 yards. Jonathan Taylor did his normal thing, just going off for you know 200 yards or whatever it was. Uh, so they really got outclassed there. And it starts to make you wonder, you know, you can view those other close games differently now. Um, you know, beating you know, the Penn State game, while, while it was a huge win, it was only by five. They got outgained. And then when you look back at their September, I know it seems like, you know, it, it, it is 10 games ago, but their non-conference was against South Dakota State and FCS team, Fresno State and Georgia Southern. And all those were one-score games. They were barely beating terrible teams. Um, I know they've obviously evolved since then, but um, one last note on Minnesota is uh, they went through a, a pretty lucky stretch where they were playing all the, ba- the backup quarterbacks. Uh, so in their first, I think it was five or six games in the conference, it was all backups, Purdue, mm. Illinois, Nebraska, Rutgers. I mean, Rutgers is <laughs> bad enough anyway, but uh, for whatever reason, they were just hitting these backup quarterbacks. And then, but to their credit, they took advantage and blew everyone out. So uh, just another thing to consider when you're breaking down that 10 and two record, you want to dig in a little bit deeper, you know? It's also something to consider. It's going to be negative eight degrees up there Saturday, so Tampa is going to be a shell shock to some of boys. <laughs> they're going to be they're going to be cramping up. Uh, That's what I'm thinking. They ain't going to be able to handle them sugar huddles, man. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's jump on down to Orlando to the Citrus Bowl. We have got a marquee matchup here: Alabama versus Shane's favorite coach in the world, Jim Harbaugh's Michigan crew. Mm. Uh, Crimson Tide, only favored by a touchdown. I thought that was pretty shocking when that line came out. What can you tell us about Michigan, and what, what's your initial thoughts to that line? Yeah, well, quickly, quickly on the line, I mean, I think that's part of uh, not knowing what kind of Alabama roster we have coming out. Like I said, we don't know. Um, I think I'm still waiting to hear back, and correct me if I'm wrong, whether that whole pack of rising juniors and seniors is going to leave early and not play in the bowl. So mm-hmm. super question mark with Alabama. I think that will correct itself once we hear either way on if they're all playing or not. Uh, speaking of Michigan, so you guys got to witness firsthand the, the offensive evolution of LSU uh, where they were you know, a traditional power offense getting shut down by the conference power Alabama and, and went pass heavy and brought in a new guy and, and it clicked. So Michigan tried to do the same thing, right? They were getting shut down by their power, Ohio State. Uh, They couldn't get it done with their traditional offense. So they go out and they brought in Josh Gaddis from Penn State, who I guess he looks like the poor man's Joe Brady. But but, uh, it was the same idea, to to make it a passing offense and kind of spread the field and and really just try and do what LSU did. Now, the difference was LSU had clicked in week one, and it's been incredible. It's been, you know, all kinds, all SEC and every – you know, congratulatory thing you can say about it, Heisman, everything. So, but with Michigan, right, it took half the season to really start to develop, and it's starting to click, but it's it's nowhere near what LSU's putting out. So the thought and the intent was there. The results didn't really match what you saw in Baton Rouge, but kind of from an SEC angle, that's what you can kind of view Michigan as. Um, 
you know, within their season, they started pretty rough. Army actually had them beat. Army was going to beat Michigan in the big house. It was the next App State moment uh, that came up just short. A couple weeks later, Wisconsin finished the job and, and put up like 50 points on them or something crazy and just blew Michigan out. So, But since then, so I broke it down first half, second half again, like I did for, I think, Virginia Tech. First half of the year, it was not the Michigan you thought you'd see. Second half, though, they're like a top six, top seven team nationally. So uh, they're surging right now. I know the Ohio State game happened, um, and, and we'll see if that continues, if, if a similar power like Alabama can, can blow them out like Ohio State did. But it's a different Michigan team than we saw in September. And is the quarterback still Shea Patterson, former Ole Miss quarterback? I mean, he was a five-star. He never really lived up to the hype there in Oxford. And uh, from all I heard from Michigan, it kind of sounds kind of similar deal there with him up at Ann Arbor, maybe not quite that five-star hype. Yeah, so it is Shea Patterson. Um, he struggled first half of the year, like I said. And, and really, um, once the offense started going, it, it was good and bad, right? So the bad was that they lost their run game. They really have no run threat. I think they're 100th in, run it, in rushing offense. So uh, they really went pass heavy. And in most of the games in the second half of the season, it was clicking pass-wise. So Patterson actually set some school records. Um, now, you got to take it with a grain of salt, considering Michigan was always your traditional eye formation, three yards in a cloud of dust. So the, the quote-unquote school records for passing are probably something like you know 300 yards or something. But, uh, no, he set some passing records. Uh, it, it was productive. Uh, he was spreading the ball around. Uh, but against Ohio State, really just neutralized. And we don't know how great this Ohio State team will end up being. I mean, obviously, it's the top two, top three teams. So um, got, take that with a grain of salt. But, yes, it's Patterson. They have some playmakers on the outside. It's a five-star, uh, former five-star Donovan Peoples-Jones. Nico Collins is stepping up. Um, but really, yeah, no run game. I think that when you make a team one-dimensional against Alabama, I think that they're going to feast on it. So mm -hmm. uh, let's see what kind of personnel goes or, or stays for Alabama. But even the backups, like uh, some young guys getting playing time, I still would probably lean Alabama. Hey, I want to ask a question. Um, you know, the NFL, I mean, there's that, that calling is always there. Is there any rumors to, you know, this may be the last year we see those pleated khakis on the sideline <laughs> yeah. yeah i don't know I, I haven't heard any rumors that way um i think that you know i think it's his dream job i think it really is it's alan mater obviously he played there um and it, yeah you see a lot of complaints from michigan fans about saying they should fire him but you got to remember what he inherited five years ago uh now this is a program that was pretty much run down by rich rod uh and brady hoke who all he did was clap on the sidelines the whole game um so he has really turned it around, and, and, and Don Brown, as defensive coordinator, has, has kept them in contention in the top 10 and top 15s of defenses every year. It's been solid play. It's just when, when you're comparing yourself to Ohio State, which right alongside Clemson, Alabama, have been you know, the class of college football the last decade, it's going to look bad. You're 0-5 against Ohio State, but you're pretty damn good against everyone else. So um, to the Michigan fans complaining, I don't know who else you'd get. I mean, I think that – you let this offense hopefully continue to develop and see where the cards lay, but I don't know who else you're going to get. He has them recruiting pretty well. He's got Michigan relevant again, and, and they're a top 15, top 10 program right now. So, uh, you know, it's more of the fact of Ohio State being a power. You can get Butch Jones pretty cheap. I mean, <laughs> just throwing that one out. <laughs> just throwing that he's one still out on there. the market? Yeah, yeah unfortunately. Still on the, I think he is, right? Yes, fetching coffee for old Papa Saban. <laughs> All right, let's kick it down to the Orange Bowl. I'm still not sure how we got this New Year's Six matchup. 
Florida versus Virginia. The Gators a two-touchdown favorite. Shane and I continue to tout that the Gators should be a top-five team. I mean, hell, they lost to Georgia. They lost to LSU. Everyone else, they're wrecking. Uh, what can you tell us about Virginia? Do they have any shot here against uh, upsetting the Gators here? I'm going to say zero zero percent chance. I mean, uh, <laughs> I really didn't like that whole uh, automatic bid thing. And, you know, I put a couple of tweets out about it. It's, it's something that maybe if they were – there should be a rule if you're 10 wins and above, maybe get that auto bid. But we're talking about a, what, a 9-4 and four team in by far the worst conference. I mean, the ACC really is pathetic uh, this year. I'm not going to say every year because they've had some top years. This year it's a pathetic conference. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, uh, you have a 9-4, and 9-win team coming out of there. Uh, roster talent, they average 55th in the five-year recruiting re- uh, ranking. So mm-hmm. um, when you compare that to the blue chips that are loaded on both sides of the ball for Florida, you're going to see a talent gap. Um, now, i got to give some credit where it's due. I mean, Bronco Mendenhall, he took over a terrible program in UVA, uh, you know, coming off some three- and two-win years. So he's got him back to respectability. He's got him. He won the, the division for, for crying out loud. So it's been a great turnaround. It's one of those deals where he's maximizing what he has. It's, it's like I said, he doesn't have blue chip talent, but he's getting out wins and, and, and competitive football teams and, and a strong defense. But uh, really it's a one man team on offense. It's really uh, Bryce Perkins, the dual threat quarterback they have. Um, if, you, if you watch the Commonwealth cup, the UVA Virginia tech rivalry, this guy went off for like 250 rushing yards from the quarterback spot. Um, so I think that if Florida can shut him down or, or make him one dimensional, which I think is a, a definitely, uh, you know, I'd, I'd lean that way. Then I think you make this team one dimensional and, and pretty beatable. So Vegas has it at 14. I, I think I might do a uh, Shane's old $100 bet on that one. Uh, go, go Gators big. Ready to lock it down. <laughs> All right, let's let's jump on down to the Sugar Bowl down in New Orleans, Georgia, favored by eight against Baylor. We're just coming off that uh, Big Twelve championship game. I thought Baylor impressed me. What can you tell us about the Bears? Yeah, I mean, you look at Baylor from a program scope, right? They had that losing culture. They had the scandal. Uh, then, um, you know, they, they bring in Matt Rule and he turns this thing around out of nowhere. Um, they went 1-11 his first year, but then he increased that up to seven wins. And now he's got them right on the brink of the playoff discussion, which is incredible. Um, specifically with Baylor this year, it's been a lot of close games. I got, you got to give them credit for being resilient. That um, doesn't really stack up in my game grader, which factors in. Obviously, one of them is margin of victory and yardage differential. So while their win column looks very impressive, a lot of these could have gone the other way. So from a, a forward-looking predictive model, it's not as impressive. You're talking about, uh, you know, they beat Rice by eight, uh, Iowa State by two, Texas Tech by three on a very controversial overtime call. Uh, you know, West Virginia, another bad team by three, TCU by six. So these are all pretty much losing teams, barely beating. Now, all that, you can throw all that out the window. What we saw last Saturday in the conference title game was pretty impressive. Um, even with the third string quarterback, they had Oklahoma on the ropes. Um, one note for Baylor I want to get in there is this is the number one improved defense from 2018 to 2019. And uh, I actually put this in my book. I didn't think it would be this great an improvement, but I had said that their defensive coordinator, Phil Snow, his defense usually takes two or three seasons to be fully implemented and, and to see the impact. And this is year three. Uh, it's very complex, and I figured this might be the, the jump. Now, I didn't expect it, they jumped 75 spots. That was incredible <laughs> improvement. Uh, they, they, they cut off 12 and a half points per game defensively. So, uh, just incredibly improved there on that side of the ball. And, and, it, and it gives them a punching chance in all these games. So 
I just don't see them matching up in the trenches. I think Georgia's offensive line might be the best in the country. Um, don't really know what happened in that title game against LSU. We just saw a team totally outclassed. Makes me wonder, and you guys can, can hop in, obviously, being the SEC podcast, but it reminds me of Alabama and LSU, say, five years ago when they hadn't made the offensive jump and they hadn't modernized and gone spread uh, what Georgia's doing. It looks like Georgia's still in 1980 offensively, last time they won a title. So I wonder if this might be the year that it wakes up Kirby Smart to want to maybe modernize, and we'll, we'll see what happens there. Yeah, if he don't, his ass is going to be out of there because Georgia, they won a national championship. And I don't think, Kirby, as well as Kirby's doing, I don't think they're going to give him, you know, multiple years here to figure out this offense. Yeah, it makes you right, wonder, too, yeah. what's going on with the coordinator spot. I think I think after these bowl games play, I, I, I truly think Kirby's going to make a splash higher as far as offense is concerned. Let's kick it down to the playoff game here. Final SEC bowl game here. LSU versus Oklahoma in the Peach Bowl. It's going to be in Atlanta. The Tigers favored by 11 and a half. What can you tell us about the Sooners? Yeah, so a couple things. I mean, from a national perspective, a lot of times I hear some broadcasters uh, refer to this as an air raid pass offense. Um, I mean, that's pretty far from the truth when you look at their play count and their snap counts. They're 60% run plays. Uh, it's a very balanced attack. It's, you know, they have a physical downhill, powerful run game. And yes, I mean, they do have the explosive plays in the pass game to, to complement it, but this is a run-first package, uh, especially this year when they have Hurts as like bulldozer at, at uh, quarterback. Um, I had to look this up, but he's over 1,200 yards rushing himself, Jalen Hurts. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think he got a lot more rushing attempts that, than he did at Alabama. But um, this thing's clicking on all cylinders. So a lot of talk has been about LSU's offense, and rightfully so. But uh, I ran this back. Um, over the last decade, there's been some, I don't know, 1,200 FBS teams or you know 1,300 FBS teams and offenses. Only three offenses in this decade have averaged over eight yards per play, and that's 2017 Oklahoma, 2018 Oklahoma, and 2019 Oklahoma. So this offense, man, it's uh, the three best of the decade, and it's all Lincoln Riley and uh, his schemes. So with that said, I think it's going to be a ton of points scored. Um, you know, it, they might come in nationally, people view, viewing the game thinking it's going to be all passing, but Oklahoma is going to want to run the ball. Uh, run the ball between the tackles with a quarterback power game, some zone read, and even Hurts scrambling on pass plays. So, and, and you've seen that over the years in Alabama, his ability to extend plays. But uh, yeah, it's going to be an incredible matchup. I'm pretty excited for it. Yeah, and if there's one game you may have not missed, you know, this kind of flew under the radar for a lot of people, I would think, nationally. If you want to go back, maybe something you're going to see in this game, watch the LSU versus Ole Miss game. It was only about two or three games ago. Ole Miss ran all over LSU, so that's that's something to consider. This could be a preview of that. If that's what Oklahoma does to him with Jalen Hurts, LSU could be in a little bit of a dogfight here. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and another difference with Oklahoma this year is their defense kind of improved finally. Uh, if you go back about a decade, it was actually Brent Venables that was here, and he had Oklahoma consistently right near that top 25 mark in defense. And I know to the SEC listeners, you're thinking, wait, the Big 12 used to play defense? Like, what, what, uh, it used to be a solid defensive program. But uh, so Venables obviously goes over to Clemson. Oklahoma's defense just falls apart. And, uh, and they've been you know, ranked below 100th for a couple years in a row here. This year, Alex Grinch came in from Ohio State, previously Washington State, and, uh, and actually improved them 50 spots. They're up 10 points per game defensively and uh it was the fourth most improved defense i know i said baylor was number one oklahoma was number four so uh 
they're, they're improving on defense. It's not there yet, but I, I don't think LSU's is a quote unquote right there yet either. So uh, I think it's going to be a lot of offense and, and two of the Heisman finalists, both deserving of their seats in New York. And, uh, and yeah, that, that is a good point, bringing up the Ole Miss game. I think that Ole Miss went for 400-something rushing yards. So if, if, uh, if they allow Oklahoma to stay ahead of the chains and, and get eight yards of play like they're in their season average, it's going to be tough. It's going to be high scoring. So let me ask you on the Oklahoma thing, just because I, I didn't watch any Oklahoma except for that championship game. And, and it felt like every time Baylor had a quarterback out there, it was different than the one they had prior to. I think they got down to the third <laughs> string, and they were still they were still able to move the ball. Is that is that was you know something by design? I mean, is is was that just a fluke, or or are they going to have trouble keeping? I mean, because Joe's ridiculous right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's on fire. I mean, is do they have a shot to slow down this LSU offense? Uh, I don't really think so, to be honest. But, um, you know, because you look back at some of these games, Kansas State, is, uh, that was Oklahoma's loss, obviously. They, they lost by seven. They gave up a ton of yards. And, uh, and that was to a team, the only, uh, the only Power 5 team without a four-star or a five-star player on the roster is Kansas State, uh, and they lost. So you talk about maybe going from that end of the spectrum mm-hmm. to LSU, which is top five, just blue chips galore, and you, you've seen what they've done on both sides of the ball, especially offense. Uh, yeah, it's going to be tough slowing them. But the only difference here is that Oklahoma still outgains teams. I mean, they right. still they might give up 400, but they're going to put up 700, you know. Right. Uh, their you. average per game, they're, they're plus 220 yards per game. So, um, yeah, and, and even the Baylor games, I look back at those because they're just t- statistical anomalies. Uh, Oklahoma won them by three and by seven points, one score mm-hmm. games, but in yards – it was by 220 and 180. So <laughs> I guess the final score wasn't as close as we're, as we're seeing. The last bit, uh, and I'm dr- talking a lot here, but um, the turnovers, really Jalen Hurts has had some turnover issues. That's the only difference between when you're trying to parse out the final score and the yardage. The difference being there's some turnovers happening in the red zone. A lot of it are Jalen Hurts. So right. yeah. uh, fumbles, forced throws in the end zone. So he's got to cut down those if Oklahoma wants a chance. All right, last thing I got for you, Brett. I don't know if you're prepared for this, so if you're not, that's fine. But do you have a national championship prediction between these four teams? Do you do you have a feel for who's going to win it all? I'll say this. I think three weeks ago I would have said Ohio State hands down because uh, in, in my formula and just from watching them, and it's been some tough games too, right alongside LSU's schedule, but they've been dominating everything in their path. Um, you know, actually, I applied back my formula back to some of these historic teams like 05 Texas, 01 Miami, and even last year's Clemson team. Mm-hmm. This Ohio State team through 12 games was right there with all of them. They were historically great. Uh, and then what we saw against Wisconsin, that was kind of a red flag. Um, you know, first half, Wisconsin just came out and punched them square in the mouth. Got to give them credit for, for bouncing back. I know it's tough to beat a team twice. All the, all the buzzwords you can throw out, but Ohio State was resilient in the end. I, in a way, in a weird way, I just feel like Clemson might be the best team, the most complete team. Um, they're flying under the radar. Everyone's getting on them for their schedule. Um, but really, the core of this team is back from last year, a team that destroyed Alabama and, uh, and went through a tougher ACC last year. Um, and uh, it's, it's really tough. I don't remember a playoff bracket coming in where you had three legitimate teams that can make an argument as, as the best team. So I think we're in for a treat this year. There's no... There's no fraud team like we've seen in past, like last year's Notre Dame team, where you just you just knew they're going to get blown out. They just had to be there by default. 
Uh, this is probably the first bracket where all, all four of these are legitimately, you know, qualified and, and deserve their spots. So we're in for a great one. I'm going to go LSU out of that semifinal. I'll go Ohio State out of their semifinal. And for the SEC listeners, you hope that means a, a rematch and a recreation of that 07 title game uh, down in New Orleans. Same location, same teams. And, uh, and, and LSU destroyed them last time. So we'll see. All right, Shane, you got anything before Brett before we let him go? Mm, how mad at uh, Utah are you right now? I felt bad for <laughs> oh you. Oh, my gosh. I love I mean, my youth. No, uh, <laughs> I, I was watching uh, that Oregon game, and I was just like, oh, my God, Brett's going to be pissed. Because I, I thought for a second, a brief moment, there was going to be a chance Utah snuck into this thing, and, and I felt bad for you, man. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think a lot of us became Ute fans. Um, yeah, so – to those that haven't uh, that are unfamiliar, what happened was in the preseason, I, I put out my book, right, and uh, my final four, I had Utah in the playoff. And uh, of the other 15 preseason publications that are out there on newsstands and websites, Utah's average rank was 15th preseason. So to put them fourth was a was a huge uh, you know outlier compared to the national consensus. And, uh, and I believed in it. It was this defense that was super strong uh, and a, a very veteran offense. And but the key thing being an easy schedule. And uh, they mostly they rode that schedule all the way to the Pac-12 title game. I uh, was getting a ton of new friends from Utah, as you can imagine. A lot of new followers were hopping <laughs> on. So uh, I was on like every radio show up there. They love me in Utah. But, uh, but no, yeah. So in, at the end of the day, the talent prevailed. Oregon, was uh, they've been a recruiting power, relatively speaking, within the Pac-12. And, and the better talent ended up ruling. So. But Shane, I saw your tweet there. I was up in Seattle. Uh, for Washington versus Utah, and a uh, heck of a heck of a comeback win for the Utes. And uh, I think you tweeted something along the lines of seeing uh, Jacob Eason ruin the game for Washington, or like a sabotage or something. I put in, but uh, that was pretty funny. But uh, yeah, heck of a trip. Oh, that's awesome, man. Well, one one last thing. I just want to ask you one last thing because we again, Mike doesn't. I, I mean, you're the only one I'm allowed to have an interview with. So uh, this is this is an exciting <laughs> yeah. moment for me. And not to mention, your book's the only book I read once per year, you know, <laughs> so it's a pretty big deal. Yeah, thank you. Thank uh, you. Yes, and I, I just want to ask you just a couple quick questions. Uh, first off, it looks like the Cincinnati Bengals are going to have the first pick, you know, and I'm not real familiar with Chase Young, but I'm hearing a lot of people saying that there's a good shot that they may take him instead of Joe Burrow. Is that crazy talk, or do you think Joe's still going to be the first first kid off the board? Yeah, so comparing the two prospects, I mean, Chase Young is, is always hyped up to be, I will say. I mean, I've watched probably 10 of their 12 games at this point, and I'll catch up on the rest in the offseason. But you just he's just a force. You always, you always look to see where he is pre-snap, and you're like, all right, all right, he's on that end this time. He's on the right end. Let's see what he does. It, you know, your eyes are automatically attracted to him. Uh, certain games this year, he's just dominated. He's taken over the entire game. Penn State comes to mind. I think it was like three sacks in a, in a couple series in a row. It was incredible. Uh, Wisconsin, the first time around, he was blowing up the line. And that's mm-hmm. against arguably the best offensive line every year. So he's doing it against solid teams and lines. It's not like he's taking over a weak offensive conference. But anyways, he has all the measurables. He's fast. He's just a freak athlete. So I think that he'd be up there, too, with Burrow. And to be completely honest, I don't really follow the NFL outside of my, my loser Philadelphia Eagles. but uh, um, So I don't really know the uh, specific team needs the Bengals have, but if they're going, if they want to build a, a program around the QB, I mean, it's hard to ignore what, what Burrow has done with an NFL offense. So uh, it's more uh-huh. a team need thing, I'd say. 
All right, and just one last question, since now you are uh, picking the Heismans for us. Um, is there somebody on the short list that you're looking at next season, somebody that maybe is not in contention this year, but you see that will, you know, somebody that will pop in the SEC next year? Uh, I mean, so the, the boring answer would probably be Trevor Lawrence. I mean, this is a guy that still has been incredible. He's on the best team. I think that his slow start out of the gate uh, really kind of damaged his perception nationally, mm-hmm. and uh, and the other quarterbacks took advantage. Um, yeah, that's really tough because I want to see what kind of transfers happen. I mean, this could look completely different a month from now. Yeah. Um, trying to think. Coming into this season, I thought that uh, the, the Georgia running backs running back room would produce one, maybe uh, DeAndre Swift. But uh, mm-hmm. I know that uh, they'd love to spread the carries around. Um, yeah, I don't have an answer for you there. Give me a couple months, and we'll we'll, we'll reconvene okay. and talk uh, this preseason. All right, buddy. Well, I appreciate you coming on, man. Well, look yeah, at Shane. Thank you guys for having me. Shane asking the tough questions. I never. That's the first time in this podcast history. Yeah, Sh- so uh, Shane had the knockout punch. <laughs> that's right. Was that Dana Walters or something like? <laughs> You didn't see it coming. I'm going to have people crying before you know it. <laughs> How about Kellen Mond, maybe? Can I sneak one in? How about a Kellen Mond breakout year? Yeah, I think that's a good selection. If he takes the next step in Jimbo's system, they're going to have most of their weapons back. I think that could be a solid pick yeah. right there. All right, so that's Brett Sianco of Pick 6 Previews. You can follow him at Pick 6 Previews. you got to get his preseason magazine. It's the best on the market Thanks so much, uh, Brett, and a new Heisman Trophy voter. That's that's just awesome. That's an outstanding honor. I really appreciate you hopping on and giving us some insight on these other teams. We'd be pretty clueless without uh, your insight there. So just uh, couldn't say thank you enough. Yeah, yeah thanks again, guys, for having me on. And uh, like I said in the, in the tweet I put out there, I mean, full endorsement on my end from, from your guys' podcast. Uh, I try and find a show or two from each league that in the offseason I can go back and kind of relive or rewind the season and really take notes on and because once the season starts as you guys know it's going 100 miles a minute uh you're just trying to absorb as much info as you can but now in the offseason i'm going to go back and watch or, or re-listen to all the shows that you guys put out and i just love that you guys cover all 14 teams in depth you get press conference sound bites in there so it's not always you know it, it's good opinion it's some fact it's some live reaction it's hilarious banter i think i put out there the best laugh in, in podcast game his <laughs> cousin shane but uh no, it's just an enjoyable listen. So I'll continue to get you guys uh, attention on Twitter, and I, I think it's well-deserved. So thanks for having me on. I'll come back anytime, and uh, we'll talk again in the offseason. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again, Brett. Take care. All right. See you, buddy. See you, guys. Thanks. All right, Shane. So that was a hell of an interview there with Brett Sianca of the Pick 6 Previews. Some outstanding stuff there on the SEC Bowl season here. Really really appreciate all that insight he had to give our audience on the other teams there because – you know, Shane and I are never ones to BS the audience or anything, and uh, we just felt like you guys deserved a little bit better insight than we're able to give you here <laughs> on these other teams. So really appreciate him once again for hopping on here. You can give him a follow at Pick6Previews. Check out the website, Pick6Previews.com. He does an outstanding job, and his Twitter is uh, not only very informative, but it's pretty funny. He'll, he'll tweet out some things that always – make me laugh so i want to thank him again for coming on the show you got anything before we hop off here shane oh no that was fantastic and uh i think this is going to be the first year uh the sec has gone undefeated in bowl play mike i think it's going to happen i'm looking at these lines and 
I know Brett had a lot of great things to say, but I'm still going to lean heavy SEC <laughs> this week or these coming weeks. So I am excited about the uh, the Army Navy game coming up. You know, mm-hmm. it's a time honored tradition, so I'll be watching that. I hope everybody's tuning in again. Well, you know, there's not that many Saturdays left where we're going to have a college football on. So uh, sponge it up, have fun. Let's let's make some money during these bowl picks, Mike. Yeah, without a doubt, Shane. Well, that's going to do it. If you made it this far. If you wouldn't mind just going a step further, giving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps the show out. We'll send you a koozie free of charge on us. Uh, One other thing, I've been meaning to say this more often, Shane. The music for this show comes via Nashville band Crimson Calamity. They're offering up their music to us for free, so give them a follow on Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff, Spotify. Again, that's Crimson Calamity. Let's give a shout-out to those girls for allowing us to give a... Uh, some quality music here on the show well that's gonna do it shane thanks for joining me as always thanks everyone for tuning in we'll catch you on the next one all right see you guys go balls Without a doubt, without a <laughs> I'm losing it, Drink man. Another. Without a doubt, Shane. Lake. You've been hanging out with Shane too long. <laughs>